Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Dearest listener, allow me to unveil a delightful secret. Snag Tights Craft Clothing that embraces every body shape. In a bold endeavor to revolutionize the fashion realm, Snag has triumphed. Permit me to draw your attention to the ingenious Chub Rub Shorts, crafted with moisture-wicking yarn, promising to keep you at least one degree cooler and utterly free from the discomfort of chafing. Free shipping on select orders. Thus, the more you snag, the more you save. Do not delay. Dear listener, experience the fashion revolution that is snag and visit snagtights.us today. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of iHeartRadio and Shondaland Audio. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to Katie's Crib. I have a big episode for you guys today. We are in the middle of a global pandemic. Actually, I just said middle, and I don't even know if we're in the middle. We don't know if we're in the middle, close to the end, at the beginning. We don't know. A lot of things are out of our control. We are here. We are quarantining. We are facing COVID-19. And since the start of the shutdown, I have been getting so many texts and emails from friends and friends of friends about how to mom during this time, how to keep our kids safe. And I was like, you guys, Katie's Crib, we got to get you some answers. So I'm really excited about today's episode and bringing you guys some up-to-date information. And I have to say that, as you know, information is changing daily on this disease. So what we have right now is up to date, but also could be changing. I have two awesome doctors on today's episode. The first is Dr. Rashmi Rao. She is absolutely wonderful. And she came on to discuss pregnancy and COVID. She is the high-risk doctor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at UCLA Health. I also have on my New York City pediatrician, Dr. Danielle Taylor, to come on and talk to us about COVID and our tiny humans. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Rashmi Rao. Let's get right into it and get some of these. I have a great list of texts and emails from personal friends, family, and from a ton of our awesome Katie's Crib listeners. 
So pandemic or not, people are trying to conceive during this time. Like that is happening. Um, We have one listener at Danielle N. Collins writes, if I'm wanting to have another child, should I wait for some sort of resolution to the pandemic or vaccine? Seems like an awful time to bring another child into the world, but we want to expand our family. Have you been having clients ask this question? What's your consensus on this? So yeah, Katie, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, So these are really great questions. Um, And absolutely right. This is a question I get asked almost daily. You know, what I tell patients is from a medical standpoint, I'm not advising against pregnancy. I'm not telling them to hold off on pregnancy. Um, At this time, there really isn't much data to support an increased risk to a woman or her future child so much so that getting pregnant is considered a contraindication. Um, From a personal Mm -hmm. standpoint, I think that there's a lot of things to consider. There's Uh, financial stressors right now. There's a lot of community stressors right now. And I think that those are definitely um, important things to consider. But I think those are personal and not so much from a medical standpoint. Yeah, that's great to know. We have um, another listener by the name of Rebecca who wrote in that she was really wanting to have a baby, but because things saying it's a personal choice. Like if you can look at your pregnancy as maybe not being able to have the village you imagined having, it takes a village, right? Like maybe your parents can't fly in. Maybe you you can't go to the baby classes you wanted to go to. Maybe you can't take a tour of, of the hospital in advance to put your anxiety at ease. So it's really, it's a personal question of how you deal with anxiety, finances, all of these things. Right. Absolutely. You bring up a really good point there. And um, we are actually seeing a lot of an increase in terms of anxiety and even PTSD type symptoms. Um, anxiety is worsened by isolation. And essentially, we're asking a lot of our women to be isolated. We're asking a lot of people to be isolated. It absolutely takes a village from both a professional and personal standpoint. I, I 100% agree with that. Um, and we are in a time right now where it's hard to have a village when we're asking everyone to stay kind of quarantined. So these are these are really important things to consider and think about how you would handle that if you were to get pregnant in the future. Um, and so I think that these are really reasonable things to consider. And those are the things that I would tell my patients to just think about before you make mm. that decision. Great. Can COVID-19 be sexually transmitted? <laughs> So as of right now, COVID-19 is not considered to be a sexually transmitted virus. COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. Um, It's mainly transmitted by respiratory droplets and secretions. Um, So as of right now, that is not something that we have any medical data for. Um, This is huge. I have a lot of friends asking this. Does COVID-19 affect male fertility? Do we know? Very good question. We don't. Short answer is we don't know. Uh, there has been COVID nineteen found in sperm in some case reports, um, but what that Holy means? Holy mackerel, Andy! <laughs> <laughs> but what that means in terms of whether that causes issues with future pregnancies, or um, again, we have no data that there, that can be transmitted. Um, if you guys remember Zika from back in the day, that was also found to be in sperm, but that really didn't mean a whole lot of issues in terms of transmission or in terms of men giving it to women. But we did at that point advise against um, you know, men and women having sex at that time. But that was a very different virus for COVID-19, where we just don't have any data right now. Can it affect female fertility? Again, no data. Um, You know, if we think about, and this is, I should have actually just opened up with this, which is that this is such a new virus. We're really five to six months into this um, and no 
nobody can really be an expert at this point because data takes lots of time and takes lots of reports and numbers in order for us to make conclusions that really I would feel comfortable saying, yes, this is absolutely what we know and what we don't know. Um, and with COVID-19 being on the United, in the United States for five to six months, we don't have data on women who or men who have been trying to get pregnant for a prolonged period of time and starting to see issues with fertility. Um, and so right. based off of just the time, the limited time period, I would say we just don't know yet. Mm. Okay. I have Nikki writes, hi, I love your show. Thanks, Nikki. And have listened to it way before I knew I was trying for a baby. I am currently 13 weeks pregnant and I am a teacher in NYC school district. Is it high risk for pregnant women to work in schools, even with social distance protocols? Should the schools allow teachers to work from home? I heard they are hearing now that pregnant women are considered higher risk. Is this true? Why or why not? Yeah, Nikki, you got a lot of questions. I hear you, girl. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that in that question. Um, so let me try and break that down. So are pregnant women considered higher risk? So in general, pregnant women are considered to be an immunocompromised population, meaning that they tend to get um, infections at a higher rate than people who have a competent immune system. So prior SARS and MERS and even the influenza virus definitely affected pregnant women um, at more severe rates. What we are seeing right now is that that's not necessarily true with um, COVID-2, which is COVID-19. However, the CDC did just put out a publication back in the end of June, so just recently. Um, their data show that pregnant women did have an increased risk of hospitalization and an increased risk of ICU admission and an increased risk of mechanical ventilation, but not an increased risk of death. With that being said, there is a caveat that the CDC data that we did get had a very low percent of the people who responded or they were notified um, who we had a answer on whether or not they were pregnant. We don't know if our denominator was accurate. So with that being said, I think it's hard to make conclusions based off of that particular study. And they mentioned that in their report as well. So I think that what we know for sure is that pregnant women can get sick, whether they are gonna be at increased risk for having severe disease or have an increased risk of fatality or, or death. I think that still remains to be seen. And we're not necessarily seeing even from my practice and you know from what we're seeing out there that that's happening in large numbers. So yes, I what I tell thank my God. patients, thank God for Jeez, that. Louise, exactly. Thank God. So what I'm telling my patients is, you know, pregnant women can get sick. I don't want you to get sick. So if, you know, we can be at work, I mean, everyone needs to work, everyone needs to be functional and try and be in the society and make this whole, you know, stressful time work for us. But with that being said, it has to be within reason and it has to be safe. So you have to have the protective gear, you have to be socially distanced, you have to have availability to wash your hands. And, and stay safe. If we feel like that's not the case, then I would say the option to work from home should be allowed for pregnant women. Awesome. That's great. Um, oh, this is huge. I've been reading a lot about this next question. Communities of color are being hit disproportionately hard by COVID. In examining the cases of pregnant women, what is the data showing thus far? And can like what can public health officials do to combat this? This upsets me more than any. I'm like beside myself. This is such an important question. 
So I completely agree that the data so far does support that um, women of color, specifically Hispanic and Black women, are being disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Prior to COVID, we actually were seeing that, and I'm sure this, this is something that's on you know everyone's radar as well, but maternal mortality was a lot higher in the Black population and women of color as well. So this isn't something that's new to us. And now that we've got COVID, we're seeing the same thing, that women of color, Hispanic, and Black women are disproportionately affected. We do have data for this. Similarly, in that CDC report that I mentioned, what it showed was that out of all the women who had COVID-19, 46% uh, were Hispanic women, 22% were Black women, and 23% mm. were white women. But when you contrast that with the rates of births in 2019, Hispanic women only made 24%, Black women only made 15%. So they are disproportionately being affected. Wow. So that data wow. is real. We are seeing that. Wow. And even from my own personal experience, we are seeing that Hispanic women, mm. I practice in California, Hispanic women are disproportionately affected here. So this is an incredibly important topic and something that I want to stress that we all, from a medical standpoint, need to be paying attention to. Um, what can we do about this? I think medical and public health communities first need to examine their own implicit bias and work on re-examining how you can resolve this. Because if you don't recognize what's happening, it's going to be impossible to fix it. So that's number one. I think number two, you have to be transparent with data. You have to examine your own data. You have to see what's really happening and be able to tackle what where the need is. Um, and then, you know, what you do once you have the data is you have to commit to future research and treatment, addressing and eliminating that disparity. Um, to give you an example, you know, it's it's things like Priority, which I'm going to talk about, which is an organization that is looking at research in pregnancy and COVID. They, in May, announced that they're working on a reproductive health equity and birth justice core, looking at exactly oh, this. is this. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I want to do, I mean, this is a side note, and you guys, I want to do a whole episode about this. I just think this is insane, and I want to hear more in depth about the work Priority is doing. Absolutely. So important. It is so incredibly <laughs> important. Yeah, no, no. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, so essentially, you know, we're looking at trying to increase our recruitment efforts, particularly in the Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, if you don't have these people involved in your research, um, and you have to actually reach out to these communities to have them be the ones who tell us what is important. We can't just be doing um, research what we think is important. We have to reach out yeah. to all of these communities and have them involved and then make special efforts to try and address these situations. So I'm so glad you brought it up. It is so incredibly important. <sighs> wow. Um Okay, at Nikki Friedlin writes, what could happen to a pregnant mom if she gets COVID? Have any newborns had COVID and what are the symptoms? Okay, I know a little bit about this answer, but I probably don't know the up-to-date stuff you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, pregnant women can get COVID and there have been case reports of newborns who have COVID as well. Um, it is It follows very similar to the general population in that 80% of pregnant women who will get COVID will have mild or asymptomatic symptoms or disease. 15% um, may have severe issues with COVID and 5% may be critical. Um, and that's about the percentages and that's not exact, but that's about the percentages we're seeing in pregnancy as well. So like I mentioned, pregnant women can get COVID. So I tell all of my patients to, to follow all of the CDC recommendations and stay home and stay safe. Newborns can get COVID. We have seen that happen, whether it's happening because it's being vertically transmitted, meaning going from mom to baby, 
or if it's happening after the baby is born and the immediate exposures that they get once the baby is born, that piece of it is not completely ironed out yet, although we are getting data, as you mentioned, day by day. Um, so, you know, most of the newborns, most of children who get it have very, very mild symptoms. Um, but in a, in a newborn, it would be, and I'm not the expert, so I would defer to the pediatricians on this one, but on in newborns, it's usually fever. Um, sometimes it can be what was actually reported out in the France study was some neurologic symptoms. Yes, there was a study that came out in France that it was transferred through the placenta from a COVID positive mom to, I don't know how many, but a baby or some babies, but a few. Okay, one. Great. One baby. (laughs) Guys, I have a doctor on this show. She knows. Um, And the baby, I guess, for like two weeks. See, I'm putting this in Katie speak, you guys. (laughs) But the baby for two weeks had some respiratory issue and some inflammatory brain stuff, which is horrifying and terrifying. But after two weeks, the baby, they seemed to be okay. Correct? That is correct. So far. But like... We don't know if there's long-term effects, but at the moment, the baby seems to have made it full circle, knock on wood, thank God didn't die or something, you know, like that. This one I get asked a lot. Um, For people who are trying to conceive or are very early, has COVID proven, and we probably don't know yet, but has, has COVID caused miscarriage? That is also a question that I get on the daily um, I think what we're seeing right now, the data that's that's currently being quoted, again, this is just preliminary stuff and things are evolving every single day. But what we're seeing right now is miscarriage rate is on the order of about 2%. So not incredibly high uh, growth restriction, which is, you know, when you get COVID and, or any infection, you often have issues with babies growing well. That rate is about 10%, which is on the order of what we see in the general population. But the preterm birth rate is higher Um, And again, this is data we have from women who are super sick with COVID, people who end up in the ICU, but we are seeing that- On a ventilator. On a ventilator, exactly. But we are seeing that the preterm birth rates can be on the order of 40%. Oh, God. Okay. So if, okay. So what we're seeing is if you have a really bad case of COVID, we're delivering babies really early. Oh, Really early. Really, it actually means um, less than 37 weeks. That's considered preterm. But yes, in my experience and what I've seen so far in the literature, it is that if a woman ends up being super sick to the point where she is in the ICU and on a ventilator, we do seem to be delivering those women sooner. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need, renowned for their exquisite tights. Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes, clothing that not only promises but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. I've only heard these dramatic, mythical stories of women delivering with COVID and like, I I refuse to actually Google because I'm horrified and I don't want to know, but I'm going to find out now, guys. You're welcome. But like women... What happens when they deliver with COVID? I've heard these stories of like women being put out and the baby coming out through cesarean and then they have to isolate from each other for two weeks while the mommy's pumping and comes to and then meets their baby at 14 days or whatever. Can you tell me about this? Is this even true? Is this a movie I've made up in my head because I'm a dramatic actress in Hollywood? Like, tell me what happens if you deliver with COVID? So I think... It's not entirely incorrect, but think of COVID as what I had mentioned before, right? 80% of women who have COVID are either going to be completely asymptomatic or have extremely mild disease. So for those people, and you know, a lot of institutions are, are testing every COVID or I'm sorry, I'm testing every pregnant woman who shows up to labor and delivery for their delivery. So a lot of the times we're picking up things that people had zero idea that they had COVID and we're like, hey, you know, actually you are one of those asymptomatic people who have COVID. So what happens to them? They are not going to have this dramatic, you know, course as you as you delivery. Right. Yeah. So what the, what's going to happen to them is that they are going to be for the most part kind of restricted in terms of delivery in the sense that they're not going to have a ton of people in their room. They're going to be restricted to the bare minimum and everyone is going to be wearing full protective gear for their delivery. They do not need to wear a mask, although, you know, we're going to try to have them wear a mask as much as they can. But obviously, during the time of delivery, when they're pushing, 
um, it is not reasonable to be wearing a mask. So we don't have our pregnant women who, who are COVID positive um, wearing a mask necessarily. Um, they are going is to- Is that just here or is that everywhere in the country? Do we know? Well, you know, I think that people have gotten very- creative in in barriers and things like that people can use you know little shields that they try to have the pregnant women wear but masks i think are 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 physically almost impossible to do i mean it is it's really hard to labor in in i know yeah i pushed yeah i was like if i had a mask on i would have lost my dang mind yeah yeah absolutely not i I think it's incredibly (laughs) hard i think at the best of intentions you could try and have a woman wear a mask but it's not going to stay on while she's pushing um, but, you know, I think she that woman can expect a restricted kind of visitor scenario, um, providers who are wearing full protective gear. It may feel a little bit scientific, but it is really just to protect everybody involved in that. Once the baby is born, the neonatal team will probably assess the baby, but the baby isn't going to get whisked away. The baby is going to now, especially there's new data to say that, you know, we probably think the baby should stay with the mom. But mom should, you know, have as much kind of the same kind of hygiene that we would recommend for somebody who has COVID. So lots of hand washing, masks when she's around the baby, um, you know, changing clothes if she's been wearing the clothes for a long time when she's going to breastfeed. There have been, you know, before this, there were some talks about completely isolating mom and baby. That is not reasonable. And now we're seeing data that that's actually probably not necessary Um, Now, that's for a woman who's asymptomatic or doing well. For somebody who's sick in the ICU on a ventilator, um, it probably would be something like like you mentioned. You know, they would probably get delivered via cesarean section, not necessarily because they absolutely had to, but in a lot of the times when moms aren't having good oxygen, the babies aren't getting good oxygen, and their heart rate starts to do things that make us worry. And so we want to get them out of that situation in a situation where we can give them Um, better oxygen, better nutrition. And so those tend to be cesarean deliveries. Um, But it's not like, it's not an absolute, it doesn't mean that just because you have COVID and you're in the ICU, you're going to end up with a C-section. But they probably don't know their delivery because they're intubated and, you know, they haven't, they're not awake and like a mom who is, you know, healthy and doing well. So those would be a little bit more dramatic, I suppose, where moms would probably get delivered and, and meet their babies sometime down the line. My goodness. But, you know, all I hear is like, as much as that's the shittiest thing ever, I can't even fathom it. All I hear on the other side is like, yeah, but they all survived. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, when I hear these things, I'm like, okay, but like, even if it's the worst 14 days of your life, like, you're still walking out of hospital with your baby. Like, and it makes me like, like, take a breath. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes all of us cringe too. I mean, we, our hearts go out to all of these people who, you know, whether it's pregnant or not, who are in the ICU alone um, because visitors are restricted. Ugh. It is heartbreaking. And, and, you know, I think that we all are trying to look at the end goal, which is trying to get everybody home, trying to get everybody alive. And although things like separation and not being awake when your baby is born sound absolutely terrible, I'm so thankful that you mentioned that we are, at least trying to get them to be alive and go home with their children at some point. So that's, I think, the end goal. Yeah, like that's got to be the, I mean, I I can only say that looking from outside of the experience, obviously, I can't even imagine going through it. But I just, uh, that, yeah, I'm just relieved that these horror stories are like not ending in terrible um, 
outcomes. At Mrs. BHO writes, I'm scared of not being able to have my husband speaking of restricted things in the delivery room with me if quarantine requirements become strict again. She's due September 21st. Tell me about that shit show that went down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a reasonable concern, right? I mean, I think that it's exceedingly hard for a woman to be expected to deliver by herself, um, especially when she's not sick. Um, With that being said, I think it's very institution dependent. It's very hospital dependent. Um, And we all heard of what happened in, in New York. And I think that, you know, for what was going on at that time, they felt as though it was the right decision. And by no means do I, you know, question that. But I, I do think it's exceedingly hard for a woman to deliver alone when she's not sick. So with that being said, I think most places now are are at least allowing a partner in the room. The significant for, other, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, for the delivery and for the postpartum time period. Um, where I'm working, they definitely allow a partner in the room for the whole entire stay, which is through labor and delivery and postpartum as well. Um, it's gotten better with the more testing that that we have, the better we feel about testing all the women who come through and knowing that if they're negative, their partners are likely negative. And it's not just about, you know, their particular situation, right? If you imagine a partner comes in and then walks out in the hallway and goes in touch with something and then comes back in the room and the next partner goes out in touch with something, it's it's we're trying to keep everybody safe and it's not a small order. And so that's why we try the best we can, but I, I would say that that's a reasonable concern. And if things start getting crazy in whatever location that, you know, she is in, I would have her just reach out to her physician, reach out to her hospital early and find out what the situation is. Right. Speaking of this, I when this was all going down in New York, I had a few friends deliver, especially it was my heart goes out to a lot of women who were first time, you know, first time ever going through this without their loved one with them um, and how stressful that is. And I also can only say that we just understand the disease more. I mean, if I do, then obviously all the doctors do because that's where I'm getting my information. But so there are ways to get that one person in there for the whole time and keep everyone separated. It's so funny. I keep having flashbacks when my son was born and we were like walking down the hallways with other people who'd given birth and meeting their babies. You know what I mean? It was just so like communal almost yeah. I, I yeah i remember i was just talking about this the other day i remember when there was whole families in the waiting room cheering after the baby was my born entire family like, was there one minute after i had albie and we had our alone time for a couple hours and then as soon as we moved my whole family came they brought to go i always regret what i picked i ate salmon like what a <laughs> dumb thing to i mean i love my doula so much but she was like you need to replenish your body i should have had a burger and fries that was so dumb i should have had what i wanted um but i've i had some friends make the choice to have birth at home mm-hmm. during this time mm-hmm. what are i mean i know that i think that i statistically speaking a home birth death rate is higher than a hospital one. Is that correct? Yeah. Have you had patients that have been like, I'm not doing this, I'm doing this at home? Um, there's a new wave of this. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, you're spot on, Katie. Yeah, you know, it is it is increased risk to deliver at home just in, in general, right? There's a very particular candidate who would be considered an appropriate home birth candidate. Somebody who is considered low risk, doesn't have any risk factors, um, you know, maternal mortality is a real thing. And so we don't, and so is neonatal mortality. So we really don't want people thinking that home births are the way to go. But I understand where people were coming from. You know, it's, it sounded and it looked crazy. 
Um, the only thing that I, my opinion about this is it's, it's definitely safer to deliver in a hospital than at home, especially if you are a higher risk patient. And sometimes you don't know if you're higher risk, if you haven't had mm. prenatal care, if you haven't been kind of following up. And a lot of people have been scared to go to OB appointments, have been scared to be, you know, followed up in a hospital setting or in a clinic setting. So I would just caution people if they think about delivering at home to really make sure that they are an appropriate candidate to make sure they have an appropriate certified midwife who would be available to them. And that appropriate certified midwife has a hospital that's backing them up and has a physician who's backing them up because in the event of an emergency, um, within a couple of minutes, things can go very wrong. And so, you know, it's really, for me, it's very, it's it's scary for me to think about all those people who have made those choices. For the most part, I'm sure most of them do fine, but if you know we can prevent one mom from dying or one baby from dying by having them in a hospital, especially a hospital that has spent a lot of time and energy to make sure the infection prevention protocols are safe, then I would be in support of that. Mm. Can you take us through um, what routine OB appointments look like now? I think you just touched on that a little bit, so it, it came to my head. But um, are OB appointments just far less? Are women having to have their temperature taken before they walk in? Like, I'm sure the waiting rooms are emptier, like everyone's got a mask on. Is that is is that sort of the the new wave of how we're doing things? Yeah. Katie, you you barely need me. You know, you know all the answers. <laughs> well, I think when you're a host of a mommy podcast, I text about this stuff a lot. I have a lot of phone calls, but that's what I'm hearing. And yeah. it, I, I'm guessing that people just go to the doctor less. And is that okay? Yeah. So we try to eliminate all the non-critical visits for whatever that means. You know, if you don't necessarily need to come in and see a physician, we try to do things over the phone or over telehealth where we're still looking at you, but, you know, we're not necessarily having you come in. Um, with that being said, we we still think it's exceedingly important to keep your OB appointments. Um, there's a reason that we see people as much as we do, and there's things that we're kind of looking out for. Um, and sometimes you just need to come in to get a blood pressure check and make sure that the, the baby looks okay. And so for all of those reasons, I would say, you know, just just go with the guidance of what your physician or your institution is saying to, to make sure we don't miss anything that's important. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's what it looks like. You've got, you know, and, and I can only speak for my place, but, you know, we've got screeners downstairs who make sure they're screening everybody, both through symptoms and through thermal scanners or temperature checks. Um, visitors are limited only for the essential appointments. So waiting rooms are bare and we do that on purpose so that there's not a lot of people in the waiting rooms. We want to socially distance everybody um, and everyone is in masks. So that's, that's pretty much spot on. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. I think, I feel like it, it would be scary at first. I don't know, man, women are so fucking resilient. I like, can't even believe it. I, I, I thank God women are the, that we're the people doing this because right. I don't, I mean, I mean, it's crazy. What do you think about opening pods when women are pregnant? Like if there's a pregnant woman and she's got a toddler and there's no school and like she's losing her mind. Like, what do you think about opening up to, an, you know, there's all these like, this is my quarantine or this is my bubble mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. whatever that is. Like, mm -hmm. are you having your pregnant patients completely isolate or are you allowing them to open up to their discretion? I think that it's totally unreasonable to completely isolate. And as I mentioned before, I worry a lot about complete isolation and what that does to you or anybody for that matter. 
Um, but I do, I do say, you know, if you're going to have a quarantine or a pod, I, while I think it's totally reasonable, I think really making sure that the other members of that team are doing kind of the same thing that you're doing and take it as seriously as you are and, you know, making it really open and um, okay to say, hey, you know, I have a sniffly nose today. I don't think I'm going to come in and, you know, not making that be an issue down the line. I think opening up those lines of communication and really um, having everybody on the same page and be just as safe, um, that that is reasonable and really limiting it to as much as possible. And, and then just following kind of the general guidelines, which is always wear a mask if you can. If you're outside, things are safer than whether you're inside and closed doors. Um, still staying a little bit distance from each other, frequent hand washing. And then the most important thing is if there's any signs of anything, whether it's a sniffly nose or a sore throat or hmm, I just haven't smelled very much in the last couple of days, even that, you know, um, really saying just so I start every day, I take a sip of my tea and I take a whiff and a swallow and I'm like, yep, taste and smell. We still got it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like all my friends who got COVID, which I have a lot. That, that was a huge symptom for most of them. Yeah. Um, what about women who have multiple children and are pregnant and they need to send their ch- child to daycare because they have to work or they have to get their kid to some – I know a lot of public schools are not opening in the fall, but they need some sort of child care. Is that safe? What are you recommending to your pregnant patients about schools or daycares? If it's at all possible to avoid while we're in a surge, I think that that's probably the way to go. But with that being said, you got to do what you got to do. So if your kids have to go because you got to go to work, then that's what you do. And you just try to have them go to a place that's taking it as seriously as you are. You are following all of the guidelines and then frequent hand washing, you know, frequent, frequent hand washing, which is really hard for kids um, and for adults, frankly. But, you know, really kind of making that just become the every day, all the time. Um, that's the way to go. We need to do a whole episode on how to make hand washing fun for toddlers because my toddler is disgusting and he hates washing. His, I mean, we wash his hands so much more than we used to, and it mm-hmm. is a struggle every fucking time. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. I need soap. I need dinosaurs swimming in there. I need, I, I need like all that. Okay. Please tell me. Please tell me that the that the not washing down of delivery boxes and takeout for a pregnant woman that almost killed me in the first few weeks of quarantine. Like, are we recommending pregnant women don't have to do this anymore? Should they still be doing it? I think that, you know, wiping down boxes are probably not necessary. But what I do think is, you know, when you get anything from the outside, if it's fruit or something that's going to go directly into your mouth, wash that. But if oh, it's yeah, going to be yeah, something yeah, yeah. that you take out of a container, you don't have to wash the container. Take things out of the container, then wash your hands really well before you eat it. That's what I would say. Mm. Um, and you can throw the container away. But wiping down the container and then taking it out and then what? I mean, you just still you just need to wash your hands before you eat your food. So I think, you know, just making sure that you limit as much contact with the container and everything in the house, but then just wash it, taking everything out of the containers and then throwing the containers away and washing your hands is probably more than enough. When do you think we're going to have a vaccine? <laughs> this I is the question love, I ask everybody. <laughs> you know, I would dream of a six-month vaccine, but I think more realistically we're looking at 12 to 18 months. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah. Buckle up, people. The information on coronavirus and its impacts on pregnant women is rapidly changing. We've discussed this a lot. Um 
and meaningful data, the more that we collect, the better. And UCLA Health recognized that early, thank you very much, and launched a national registry, which you touched on, called Priority Study or Pregnancy Coronavirus Outcomes Registry. Can you give um, the listeners, let's circle back, you touched on it a little bit previously, a quick synopsis of priority, who qualifies to participate, what sort of data is being collected that may be missing from the CDC, where they can register. I mean, this is so crucial. Like, if you're listening to this podcast and you're pregnant, like, you can really help other pregnant women through this organization, yes? Yeah, thank you so much for bringing this up. So I am so proud of my colleagues who've really kind of um, blazed the way in in getting this going in collaboration with UCSF. So Priority is basically a nationwide study. It's across the whole nation. We're looking at pregnant and recently pregnant women who either have had COVID or are under investigation for having COVID. And the goal is really to better understand how pregnancy and postpartum Um, how women are really affected by COVID and their symptoms and what the impact is on pregnancy and delivery. There's three approaches to it. So one is that we are kind of doing questionnaires and it's patient-reported outcomes. Um, Another aspect of it is that we are asking access to medical records for some proportion of the people. And then third, we're looking at actual biospecimens, so like placenta and, you know, trying to answer some real science to try to figure out um, what goes on. Um, And again, like I mentioned, we're trying to make a real big effort in including all um, racial and ethnic backgrounds and really trying to take away the disparity issue. And truthfully, anybody can be enrolled. You just have to be over 13 years old. Um, And it's anyone who's either been pregnant or had been pregnant within the last six weeks. And we really welcome everybody to please, to please, please, please reach out to us and you can Um, reach out at priority.ucsf.edu. That's the website. And it's a very, very easy website. You can just go in and enroll through the website and someone will reach out. And one more time, you said it's priority.ucsf.edu. We're going to link to this. And when I post this um, episode, I'll put a link to. I mean, we really can't know anything until we study women who are going through this right now. So your experience is crucial to helping pregnant women in the future. Do you have any last piece of advice or things you want to say, Dr. Rashmi Rao? This has been so eye-opening and completely horrifying in some ways, but then also (laughs) very relieving in other ways. Um, So yeah, I've taken some nice deep breaths from my friends out there. Um, Is there any last piece of word of advice? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, thank you so much for having me. I think having um, these informational and educational sessions are are key. Um, and I, just my last advice is and message really is that there's a lot of people out there who are just really um, interested and committed to taking care of women and taking care of pregnant women and children. And um, I would say that we're just going to work really hard until this is over. And if there's anything that we can do for you guys, or if there's any way you, anything you need from us, just please don't hesitate to reach out. That's so nice and wonderful. See, even if you guys feel alone, you're not alone. Uh, thank you, Dr. Rashmi Rao. Thank you for all of your advice and intelligence and and bringing the information to the Katie's Crib listeners. You guys, uh, thank you for listening. And up next, we have Dr. Daniel Taylor, who's a pediatrician from New York City, who's going to give us a lot of information on COVID and kiddos. So thank you so much. Thank you. 
Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Dearest listener, in a world where fashion oft neglects the true diversity of the human form, Snag emerges as the beacon of inclusivity we so desperately need, renowned for their exquisite tights. Snag has triumphantly expanded its offerings to include garments that embrace everybody. Snag's creations are meticulously designed on a lifelike figures and refined across a spectrum of shapes before gracing our wardrobes, clothing that not only promises but delivers true comfort and fit, particularly of note other chub rub shorts ingeniously crafted with a moisture wicking yarn to ensure you remain at least one degree cooler and entirely free from the dreaded chafing perfect for every season these shorts can be discreetly worn under your clothes offering a delightful alternative to traditional cycling shorts whether you are at the gym hiking or simply enjoying a day in a skirt or dress they are your ideal companion remember dear listener the more you snag the more you save with free shipping on select orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us. Next, we have Dr. Daniel Taylor here to answer all of our questions about kids and COVID. You guys, I am so thrilled to have Dr. Danielle Taylor on. And just selfishly speaking, she is my pediatrician, and now she's the person I text when I need to be talked off a COVID ledge. <laughs> Which so, is not often. Also, it's thank. I mean, I try. I try. But um, you guys, Katie's Crib community also knows her because Dr. Danielle Taylor was featured on one of the episodes last season where we talked about developmental milestones of a one-year-old. And it was an episode with Nicolette, um, Robinson, right? Yep. And Jamie. Okay, great. 
Yes. Jamie. Yes. Um, so thank you for taking the time. Of course. Um, also, to give you guys a visual, she's wearing her very cool teenage son's gaming headset. <laughs> it's all I had. <laughs> well, I'm in my closet. So, you know. So have you actually personally seen any pediatric COVID cases? Um, it's a little bit of a loaded question. Um, when COVID first came to New York, it was, you know, we were the epicenter in the United States. We didn't have a lot of testing. We didn't have a lot of a lot of things. So we saw what we, we were calling presumed COVID. So we have a lot of, because we're at a, a university medical center, we had a lot of um, physicians who could get tested and then their children would have fevers and they would have COVID and I would, we would have seen them. Or children looking back who it wasn't the flu, it lasted a really long time, it wasn't anything we could figure out and then they just kind of recovered. Um, so now when we're testing kids, we're typically testing them if they're really sick or going to the hospital. So we have had patients in my practice that have tested positive for sure. And for children, is it the same as adults? Is it a nose swab? Because I've had it that test twice, and that is hardcore. It's a horrific I, I think test. My toddler would lose his dang mind with that thing up his schnoz. <laughs> yes, it's not fun. So for littler kids, we try to do it quickly. It works better if you do it slower um, and kind of try to avoid the midline a little bit. But with little kids, they just, they want to get out. So you do it, you, it's like a shot. You go in, you go out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it. not, a, it's not a fun test. And what do parents have to look for symptom-wise? I mean, everywhere on the internet, we can see the baseline symptoms for adults, you know, fever, cough, shortness of breath. Those are the serious ones. Is it the same for toddlers and young little kids? It is. But what we're finding is um, a lot of them are, are asymptomatic or are not having a lot of symptoms. Um, in in most cases, children are not as sick as adults are, in most cases. Um, and usually it's about two to 14 days after an exposure where they'll come down with symptoms. Fever, I always say the top three symptoms are fever, fever, and fever. So we're really looking for fever. And what does constitute a fever for you? Like a hundred, we say call it a hundred. It's really a hundred point four, which comes from 38 degrees Celsius. Um, but it's really a hundred point four rectal temperature. But, you know, if you're, you, you know, when your kid's warm um, and then you Absolutely. just kind of keep monitoring them and then cough and shortness of breath are, are signs that we look for. Um, kids have more GI symptoms now that we're finding um, abdominal and belly pain, um, diarrhea, more than adults. We're seeing some of that no. too. Not oh, that you need God. to freak out when your kid has diarrhea, but it's just, you know, we've seen some, they call some skin manifestations. The uh, dermatologists are telling us about, you know, COVID toes or, or whatever different rashes that we're seeing. So once Is again- Is that been linked to this secondary inflammatory disease, which I want to get to it, too? It can be. The abdominal symptoms certainly are seen in there, but it can also be a presenting symptom if we've seen nothing else. We're just not sure about a lot of it. So when you say COVID toes, is that just super red? Like it just looks like they a rash? Look like, it looks like frostbite from oh, what they've, they've described to me. But it's mm. not it, – it's like, or it can be little dots like on the tip of the toes. Mm. I've seen pictures. Mm -hmm. See, I had a friend whose toddler, two years old, tested positive for COVID. And the only thing she had, like you said, fever, fever, fever. She had 12 hours of 102. And they took her in and um, – 
they honestly thought it was like a UTI because they were potty training her and she was holding a lot and or they thought it was everything else. And the doctor was like, should we test for COVID? And honestly, everyone was like, I mean, should we? We've been completely quarantined, haven't seen anybody. And they did run the test and she did have it. But that, thank God, was all she had. We hear stories like that a lot. So I, I, I was talking to a, a mom today with a rash. Could it be COVID? Sure. But if once again, if your child's okay, comfortable, you're not rushing to the hospital. If it's COVID, okay, but let's, you know, let, let's just leave her and see what happens and see right. if she gets sicker because we don't want to, we also don't want to alarm everybody and have everyone rushing to the hospital. Right. We don't want to be putting our children. I know I've never been on such high alert for my kid falling. Like he's such a toddler. He's such a beast right now and a monster physically. And I'm just like, now is not the time to crack your head. I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want to go to the hospital. I, I don't want to go to the hospital. My daughter got stitches in the middle of March or the end of March. And no. I was I was beside myself. <laughs> no. Not oh. about stitches because kids get stitches, but you know. No, just to be around the hospital when you when it's scary when there's things that are contagious there right now but the pediatric hospitals to be honest with you are pretty tame because kids are not getting as severe symptoms they're actually not and they're taking all the precautions now more than you know late february early march when we knew nothing right. i think we're taking a lot more precautions now so if your child does have to go to the hospital go right 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 that's 100% true why aren't kids getting it like adults such a good question. <laughs> and one that I have no answer to. Um, they don't, they know, don't know. They don't know. There's a lot of theories. I'm not sure I even want to talk no, theories. Ed, please. We don't even need it. But we don't know. We don't know. Um, can you explain this secondary inflammatory disease that it sounds like the majority of toddler and children COVID cases, thank God, have been manageable? the majority of them. But then there's this awful thing that you know more about because I read a lot about it in cases in New York of kids weeks after they had had COVID symptoms, they get some sort of secondary inflammatory disease. What does that look like? So I just want to say, and you said it beautifully, it's so rare. It's really, really very rare. Um, and th the case reports came out kind of weeks after. Um, and we they kind of pieced it together as to associated with COVID. And um, it is, you know, three to six weeks after either a positive swab, the horrible swab we talked about, or right. antibodies or an exposure to COVID. Um, and what we're seeing very rare is the same thing, um, fever, abdominal pain. Um, but these are kids that get much, much sicker and probably need to go, you know, to the hospital. Rash, red eyes mucous membrane involvement, some neurocognitive, like confused headaches, lethargy, confusion, um, some respiratory symptoms. And the GI symptoms was the thing that was surprising is sometimes these, you know, fever, but fever for four days. I mean, I wow. saw some kids with diarrhea. I called the air. They said, no, we need really, really need fever. We need them to have a wow. fever. Fever, fever, fever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I didn't know until I was a mom myself, but I was one of those moms um, that went to the pediatrician like you a lot, <laughs> text you a lot. Like it took me a while to get my mommy muscle strong to know the difference between he's having an off day and something's actually going on. And I really have to like implore all you moms listening. 
you've got it. Like, I know when my kid feels hot and has a fever. I know when he's acting not himself. I know when he's just not interested in dinner that night or is actually like not eating and not acting like himself and is lethargic. It's happened only a few times in his two and a half years, but it was clear (laughs) that he was not himself. It's the question I always ask, what does your gut say? Because I can't, you're with them, you know your child, I'm on the phone or in telehealth or maybe even in the office, but you know your child, what does your gut say is going on? And it's not a frivolous or a throwaway. It's it's really, I want to no, know. No, it's real. You, you really know your kid. Mm-hmm. Like when they're not, when you're doing something with them that they love to do and they have no interest, right? They're just like, they can't even get, you know, it's like, okay, we're in a mode here that things need to be looked at. Um, how can it affect newborns? Is there, again, not much info on There's this? There's not a lot of information on it. I mean, um, so... Because you're getting admitted to the hospital when you're pregnant and having a baby, they, they test you. And actually, it was a shocking number when we were at the peak, a shocking number of asymptomatic moms, pregnant women, who were testing positive that had no idea. Some of them had some symptoms and some didn't. Um, but then we subsequently test the fathers and the babies. And really, we haven't seen a lot of transmission. There are isolated cases, very few, once again, of transmission, but they're not sure what it means if it happens, but we are testing the babies in it. For now, the the newborns seem okay. Once again, such a small sample size. This is all so new um, and just not a lot of cases. Should all kids be in masks at all times? No. If (laughs) If you're home and you're with your family, that's your kind of bubble. Of course, you don't need to be in a mask. Um, The recommendations is are uh, over two years old, outside, in the environment, you should be in a mask. So if you're if you're outside or if you're, you know, close to other people, um, you should be in a mask over if you're over two. And this is a listener's question that I'm going to jump to. But this mask wearing. And toddlers, is it doing damage to their psyche? Is this, I mean, or do we not care? I mean, look, is it it's just more important to keep them not sick, right? Mental but- health is, I think, is, is going to be the huge kind of lingering thing and not because of mask wearing. I think it's because of, you know, I think, I think we're going to have to make sure our kids are okay, make sure they're mentally okay, make sure they're comfortable, make sure they feel good. Um, I don't think the mask is going to do it. It's very funny. I have uh, patients, I now know that babies can see you smile even when you have a mask on, they look at your eyes. I can smile at a baby with a mask, and I wear like full on, and they can they smile back. They look at your eyes. It's amazing and incredible and something I actually didn't know. Oh, wow. That's comforting. And they still smile. They don't seem to be, you're either they're trying to grab it off your face, which, which happens too, or they're, you know, and they can see you smile. So I don't think that's the issue. I don't think we're doing damage to their psyche. And of course, you can explain, you know, this is something we do. We're not trying to spread, just like washing your hands, using, they love Purell. So I think if you, love <laughs> two-year-olds love Purell. So if My you, whole thing is how do I convince him not to suck his thumb after I've Purell? Like, because yeah. I'm Purelling in the car, you know, if we've, you know, my, we have my pod open to just my brother. And if we like go there or I don't know, like whatever we're doing, we're Purelling all the dang time. And then he you sucks soap his thumb and I'm like, ah! Use soap and water. Yeah. And then get him get him a substitution, something else he can suck on. Yeah. Yep. Yes. See? Listen to this. This is why she is um, the best. In your opinion, when will we have a vaccine for kids? Oh, another another question I love. It's funny. A couple days ago, I would have said two years, 18 months to two years, but it looks like they're fast tracking some things. But um, kids are going to be last, right? 
which in all fairness, they're not getting a sick. So kids are going to be last because when we have vaccines, they have to be, you know, tried. And usually it's a, the adult population first before they can. Um, so, so kids will be the last ones. But 18 months, 12 to 18 months, it's not wow. going to be tomorrow. No. So we have to really... Yeah, the moms out there who are really like leaning on it's going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. Should really figure out mental health ways to let that idea go. Yeah, I mean, it, it once again though, it's it's not touching your face. It's wearing a mask. It's not touching your face. It's washing your hands. It's just being diligent and being kind to your neighbor, not coughing and sneezing on your friends. I mean, there's a lot of basic, obvious, yeah, like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you worried? This is this is what I talk about with a lot of my friends. When we the kids do go back to school, are we completely freaked about the regular stuff? Like I feel like in my household, knock on wood, no one has gotten a cold, pink eye, diarrhea, all the usual things that we would have in cycles all the time last year because my kid was on playdates or he was in a toddler and me class and you know, or I had three friends and their kids over and this one got pink eye in their class and now we all have it. Like, because there's been such a stop to all of the other toddler Petri dish in school situations, what the hell is that going to look like when we're back? I'm scared. No, th- I mean, those things are seasonal anyway. So I don't think one or two years not getting a cold or not getting pink eye. You know, if you don't get pink eye this year, you'll get it in two years. I don't think it's going <laughs> to. And you would have anyway, because none of that can, you know, you don't get immunity for more than about a year for that stuff. Um, so I don't think a year of kids not getting, and we're, and we're seeing, believe it or not, even people that are healthy, we're still seeing Coxsackie. We're oh, still really? seeing Roseola, which we don't really, people are shocked. They're like, we've, we've gone nowhere. We've seen no, how are they still getting this? That is a mystery. Um, either they're not as safe as they believe to be, or it's sure. something latent that just comes out. That's just there, you know, when it is, I think kids are going to get sick, whether you, you know, you have a sibling and you get sick when you're six months old, or you don't see anybody till you're in kindergarten and you get sick when you're in kindergarten. I think one year of not having the Petri dish is okay. Okay. See, guys, ah, I just took a really nice collective breath because I'm just so like, whenever my kid does go back to school, we are going to be sick for two years. Like, I'm like, I mean, the flus and the colds and the coughs and the sore throats and the strep throats and all that garbage. But I guess it'll just pick up and be normal. Like, but it'll be, be like really you're good get- hand washers. Oh, that's true. They'll hey, be really good at covering a, their that's mouths. That's a silver lining. They'll be good hand washers. They'll be good at covering their mouths. Um, and they'll they'll be a little bit like stand back. You know, they'll be a little bit probably better at it. That's very true. Um, a lot of listeners have school and daycare questions that I'm going to get to right now. And thank you, all you awesome listeners, for getting back to us and being part of the Katie's Crib community and asking these awesome questions. So, um, Shelly asks, I have three-year-old twins. One twin has chronic asthma. The twins are supposed to start preschool in September. My son's allergist said the social benefits of preschool outweigh the risks of him getting COVID and impacting his asthma. Thoughts? Um, I think it depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the numbers. You know, right now, New York is really low. Other places are really high. I think what they've laid out for when they're going to start stuff and what 
percent of people need to be negative or, or what percent need to be positive and how quickly that goes up. You know, you've got twins. So I feel like the socialization is kind of already there because you've got two of them. But that's true. If your allergist is saying it's, a, I don't know the severity of the asthma or, or anything like that, but um, I think you listen to your doctors, look at, ask your preschool what they're doing. If they're like, well, just come back in, then maybe you, you look again. But if they, have, <laughs> if they have an actual plan, they're looking yeah. at filters, they're looking, you know, filters in yeah. the, or aeration, if they're going to be outside a lot of the time, if they're going to have like a, what they're calling cohorts or bubbles of kids that they keep together, they have to have a plan, I think. I think you just want to yeah, know that I've been, th- th- I've been feeling it. that a lot with my group, with my mom friends and that a lot of people who, cause I, Albie hasn't started preschool yet. And I looked at a bunch. And so you guys know, like in LA and not everyone has this, but a lot of the preschools are moving completely outdoors, no indoor classes for a while. And then they're splitting the play yards so that kids are sort of split into like four to six kid pods um, that they will stick with the whole time. And then, And then a bunch of the preschools have like put in running rivers in the front of soap and water. Like so that kids are washing their hands every 30 minutes or what's their plan for potty breaks? You know, like who's cleaning the bathroom in between each person? Like these are the questions I've slowly learned through friends to ask. Like um, how are they cleaning the inside with what? You have to trust. You're going to have to trust your kid's bestie also because those are the people that are going to be putting you at risk or not putting you at risk. So I think you have to have, you can have conversations with, you know, we're in the same pod. We got to, we got to do this. We got to do the right thing. And I think that's an important conversation to have as well. It's a lot like safe sex. It's (laughs) so insane. Like, because we've only opened our pod to one other family. Um, They live around the corner. The mother is eight and a half months pregnant, which is really scary Mm because she, we all want to keep her protected. And her daughter is six weeks younger than my son. And we're, the parents are very, very good friends. And we, it took weeks of deliberation where we felt like, hey, these are the rules. I'm going to tell you if I've seen anybody else. And then you can decide if you want to take a 14 day break from play dates. It's a trust thing. It's a trust thing, but it's literally like who, how many partners have you had? (laughs) Have you used protection? It's like insane. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, Absolutely. Hi, Katie. This is from Renee. Uh, I live in a dense area of Boston. I'm a mama of four little ones. Wow. Bravo to you. Ages six to five months. When my daughter's school opens in the fall and she goes to first grade, what are some ways I can keep the babies at home healthy from the school germs she brings home? All three older kids share one room in our 1,200 square foot apartment. Oh, and then I just have to add this part. She wrote, you're my favorite actress. Thank you for being there for me during long, lonely postpartum days in the form of scandal and through this podcast. So much love, Renee. Yeah, I love you, Renee. That is so <laughs> nice of you. Sending so much love to you. That's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> I forgot the question. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, yeah, so did I. So she has an older kid yes. who she wants to go back to school, and then she has little ones. Oh, God. What do you do there? Um, You know, so it's it's what I do. So I go to work. I go to work every day. Um. I've been wearing scrubs. I love them. Um, I, I change when I get home. I wash my... The first thing I do when I get to work is wash my hands. The first thing I do when I get home is wash my hands and take a shower. Um, so I think it's... I mean, I think w- when she comes home, you can you can have home clothes or, you know, hang out pajamas if you really want to be safe since they're so so close. Make sure she washes her hands. Um, you can give her a shower. But make, you, make sure you do a once-over on her. I'm assuming she's the oldest or the eldest. So not touching her face, not coughing. She shouldn't have to wear a mask in her own house. I don't 
think that's reasonable. Yeah, but I think I if she comes home and washes her hands and washes her face and, and we talk about not coughing and, and then as soon as you see an inkling of, you know, maybe a fever or something, then you can call your pediatrician, maybe Keep put her a little separate. bit to the side. Yeah. From the other kids. Mm. So let me ask about that sort of leads us into visitors and at Natro Selvine. She asks, I will deliver second baby in October. The first child turns three in November. How do I manage parents and in-laws that want to help with both kids but won't have been in our COVID bubble beforehand? One set is local. One set will travel across the country. Do we enforce a 14-day quarantine? Everyone gets tested. Help. This is a huge hot topic question for everyone I know pregnant at the moment and really needing assistance and help in their home with either family that lives close by or a night nurse or like how do people deal with family, immediate family and getting them in their bubbles for when the baby comes? Um, So I'll answer the easy question first, which is people that live in your hometown and local people, you certainly, I think, is reasonable to ask to quarantine for 14 days. Um, Yeah. People that are flying across the country, I think it's a little more difficult. It's, you know, they're going to be flying, they're going to be on a plane, they're going to be in the universe. So I think, you know, asking them to get a test when they get local, um, but having them stay for a reasonable enough time. So that's, that's a, a thing to do. But I think it's doable. And the risk reward of having your family close and being able to help is, is important as well when you're a new mom. And do you think people who are flying should get tested and quarantine for 14 days, if that's even a reality? I mean, who who can take off? You know, good Lord. like that's I so mean, that would be perfection, but I, I think it's probably going to be one or the other. Yeah. Um, in reality. From Panama, she says, thank you for opening up this space. My pleasure. Um, this is from Alejandra, and she says, I'm a teacher. I'm a mommy of three little ones, nine, five, and six months old. Like any mom, my biggest concern is if I get sick, who cares for my little ones, especially a baby who's still nursing? Which brings me to my question. If you test positive for coronavirus and have to self-isolate, can you continue nursing? Does testing positive mean you need to be away from your children for two weeks while you stop being positive? Many thanks for providing this space for worried mommies like me. So the guidelines are to take precautions, wear a mask, wash your hands, wash all your tubing and your breast pump stuff really well. Um, and they haven't seen, I mean, once again, the data is so little for, you know, a positive, you know, but they haven't seen a lot of transmission. Um, but take precautions as as you would if you were in, you know, outside or with someone who was who you thought might be positive. So masks hand washing and and keeping separate when you're not, you know, for for a little while until you're negative. Yeah, maybe 14 days of like yeah. staying away and only being near the baby while breastfeeding. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder or if pumping. You, yeah, or pumping or you like wear mm-hmm. gloves and a mask. Mask. And do mostly yeah. pumping and a few breastfeeds a day depending on how many feeds you're doing a day. Exactly. They're helping their antibodies that way too cuz usually nursing their antibodies they're hoping that that's transmissible, but the studies aren't conclusive yet. So, gosh, Dr. Daniel Taylor, you are just everyone, everyone feel her vibe. See, it's so for me, it's like to have a calm pediatrician is like a perfect yin to my yang. Um, any, so generous. any parting <laughs> bits of advice or wisdom or 
just you want to talk me off a ledge in front of everybody. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I just, as a healthcare provider, want to say don't don't miss your appointments. Vaccinate on time. Don't feel like we're open. We're we're you can call you and ask what we're doing. We're seeing babies in the morning, younger kids in the afternoon, and, and six spots are just very little. We're separating everybody. But keep your appointments and vaccinate because we don't want this to end and then have a pandemic of something else that's, you know, kids could get vaccinated for. So make sure you keep those appointments. Um, call us. Talk to us. Um, call before. Find out what's an emergency. Don't freak out on your own. Don't just run to the emergency. Call us and, and trust us um, to answer questions. Um, follow the rules. <laughs> Wear masks. Wash your hands. Limit your contacts. Um because it, it's it's the easiest way to have all of this be a little bit more behind us. Be patient. Be patient with your doctors. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the new rules. Sometimes only one parent can come in. Sometimes I mean, be patient that we're doing it to to protect everybody. And if if our guidelines are different one day than they were the next day, just be patient with that too, because it's all new. This is really I, you're bringing up such great points. I had I was pushing my Albie's two and a half year checkup and pushing it and pushing it. And then I called and asked the doctor like a million questions, like, how are you keeping separate? And they only had appointments for non-sick kids in the morning and they were super spaced out. I didn't see anybody. And it was so great and so well handled. And I'm sure like so many doctors are doing that at, like you said, you are. And then I think that the, that pediatricians in general, like have just been so wonderful at moving so many medical things to phone calls, questions and telemedicine. Like, so if you're having that gut sort of twinge that something's not right, it's like I can send photo like in this time, my son's tooth has turned gray from a fall. <laughs> He's had weird broken capillaries on his face from a crying fit he had. And I'm just like sending close up photos with my actor audition ring light to my, you know, to you. Oh, I sent you pictures of his gray tooth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> the tooth was, yes. But <laughs> like, I just feel like we really have to call on our pediatricians. Like you're saying, ask a lot of questions, use the phone, use FaceTime, email pictures, like whatever, so that you can stay on top of any symptoms you see, um, but also keep caring for your kid because they do other stupid stuff that has nothing to do with COVID. A lot of falls, a lot of trampoline stuff. Um, there's there's actually a, a pitch, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics, AAP, hashtag call your pediatrician. I mean, it's just call us. We're here. We want, we want to talk to you. We want to talk you off the ledge. Thank you so much for being on Katie's Crib and for being a voice of reason during this very epic, intense, stressful time for new moms, for moms of toddlers, for moms with multiple kids. And um, at Katie's Crib, this is the info we have right now on COVID. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Danielle Taylor. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that helped calm some of your nerves. Stay calm. Carry on. You got this. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Follow us on all the socials at Katie's Crib. And also, if you have any thoughts or ideas of things you'd like to hear more about, you can email me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. Thanks, guys. Till next time. Katie's Crib is a production of iHeartRadio and Shondaland Audio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh,